Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Steve Alexander, Chief Technology Officer at Siena. We discuss barriers to broadband connectivity and adoption in the U.S. and why investment alone isn't enough to solve the digital divide. We also discuss the importance of network security and stability as we ramp up deployment and what the future looks like once we actually have connectivity everywhere. Steve, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. It's a real pleasure to be here. So um, before we get started, let me give you a few seconds to just introduce yourself and your role at Sienna. Sure. So I'm Steve Alexander. I'm the chief technology officer for Sienna. And so my charter has been to look kind of, you know, from the existing roadmaps out to infinity and beyond, um, do a lot of focus on research and education activities, support what goes on in the various account teams and such. So it's great to, you know, get out, talk to customers. It's how I get my compass set. So it's, it's great to be here. It's great to talk with you about Digital Divide. It's something that I'm uh, personally passionate about. Awesome. So like you said, we're going to be talking about the Digital Divide. So I'd love to hear a bit about the Digital Divide, both from Sienna's perspective and from your perspective. What's your experience been with the Digital Divide? How do you bring that into your role? And um, what, from Sienna's perspective, are the barriers to connectivity, um, particularly in, in the U.S.? Oh, sure. So, you know, the Digital Divide, it's a very... Um, <laughs> wide-ranging topic, right? When, when I talk it about is. it, um, I, I usually break it down into three three areas, right? One, you, you mentioned it's connectivity. You have to have the connections. Um, but, but just the connection by itself really isn't sufficient, right? It's necessary, but not, not sufficient. And so I like to think of, you know, you've got connectivity. You have to have the devices that you want to connect, right? And they have to be whether it's your your smartphone or your laptop or your Bitcoin mining machine or you know whatever it is that you're doing that you're going to interact with the cloud, that that has to be there. But but I think a, another key piece, especially as we start to cross that digital divide and we start to solve those problems, is you need some training and education, right? You, you need to know where to look for things, you know, how to use this kind of connectivity. Um, you know, it was very interesting. I, I had given a presentation at one of the, the major conferences um, early last year. And in just researching the background of um, the various initiatives that the government has put in place, you, you often come back to things like the Rural Electrification Act, right? People talk about that as having been a great example of bringing a new technology out to, um, you know, in that case, it would have been farms back in the you know, 1930s, 1940s sort of thing. And one of the things I didn't appreciate, but I found very fascinating about that that time, was there was actually a, a group, and it got kind of the name that was called the REA Circus, right? And what it <laughs> was, if you think about the, the context back then, you know, if you were just bringing electricity out to farms, in many cases, they really didn't know what to do with it, right? They may, may have never seen an electric water pump or an electric range or a refrigerator. I mean, they didn't have electricity. Why would they have these things? If they hadn't been in the cities, you generally wouldn't have seen this thing. And so they literally would go out and find, you know, a location where they could put on some demonstrations of what this new technology can do. And I think, you know, we owe it to the folks who haven't been well connected that as they do become connected and they get access to the online experiences and, you know, remote work and remote education and, you know, all the things that connectivity can, can offer, that we also educate them how to, how to use it, 
you know, how, how to take advantage of the fact that you now have these kinds of connections. So yeah. I, I often think of it, you know, literally in those three buckets. Yes, absolutely. You got to have the, the, the connection. And that's, you know, a big piece of CMS business, obviously, is that connectivity. You need the devices, but you also need some education and say, okay, now that you've got all this, how are you going to use it and how are you going to make your life better? And that, that to me is really the, the three pieces of the solution. So um, in terms of, you know, you mentioned the the policies that the government's rolling out um, and various ways that we're trying to solve the digital divide. Uh, and you mentioned some of the, you know, like, like the different buckets, uh, technology and, and so on. Um, so to what degree do you feel like these the current policies that are being rolled out, the um, incredible amounts of investment we're seeing, um, to what degree do you feel like those are going to tackle the significant problems um, causing the digital divide? Um, where else do we need to see activity in conjunction with those investments and that kind of that activity that we're seeing um, ramping up and likely to ramp up over the next you know several years? Well, so I think the initiatives that have been put in place are, true, are wonderful, right? It's, and it's not just in the U.S. It's a bit of a global phenomenon that, that's occurring now with, you know, governments all over the place making investments. So, so that's huge. And you have to have that kind of, um, you know, prime mover to make these sorts of things happen. It's just critical to get the infrastructure out there. Um, yeah. You know, Siena specializes in connectivity and capacity, right? We, we build the, the, the circulatory system for the Internet, right? And so... Being able to take those same technologies that, you know, quite honestly, have, you know, moved fiber capacity from kind of the gigabit area area to the terabit era, that, you know, moving that technology out towards the edge and enabling this kind of connectivity is is, is key, right? And, and so the, the fact that the governments have put in place um, the programs and the policies to enable the construction, um, you know, and it's a massive infrastructure investment to, to pull this off, right? You're putting fiber, you know, either underground, you're putting it on poles, you're connecting up to locations that have never been connected before. That takes time and people and effort. And, you know, you have to go through the, the local planning commissions, you got to get permits, you have to do all those things to, to just roll out that kind of infrastructure. So that's, that started, which is wonderful. You've got broadband offices in, in the different states now. Yeah. They're, they're comparing notes, they're looking at, you know, best practices, across the entire country, you know, how do they get um, those kind of capabilities out into, into their into the locales? I, I do think what's still in front of us is going to be, um, you know, how do the people get access to the devices if they don't have them today? And then there's, again, the, the educational piece of it. And that in many cases, you, you know, I think some of the, um, the service providers, the local schools, the local education systems, they can provide some of this. Right. And examples around good quality content, um, having the ability to say, OK, you, you now have the, uh, the capability once you're connected and you've got, let's say, a laptop, you can take online courses that you may never have been able to do before. Mm -hmm. Or you may be able to get a position as a remote worker that would have never been you know, available to you because you weren't connected. Right. Having that kind of permeate out is going to be, I think, an, another key component to this. Got it. So it's sort of like the investment and the policies paired with the real world, um, you know, activity of the Internet uh, and seeing what that looks like in people's lives, how it changes economies and um, sort of just how it changes the country as it rolls out. Yeah, um, I think that's exactly it. Right. It, because yeah. the Internet brings with it a lot of things, right? A lot mm -hmm. of content, yes. a, lot of, a lot of things can go on. And you yeah. would like to 
kind of give people who are first experiencing it or for the first time experiencing it with, you know, very broadband capabilities, kind of best practices. What are the good sites? Yeah. Where's the good content? How do you get educated? You know, all those pieces are going to be components of the overall solution. I, I definitely agree with that. It's something I think about a lot, especially as I talk about the digital divide. I, I worry about rolling out the internet uh, responsibly because the internet comes with a lot of dangers. So um, it's, it yeah, it's there, good there's, to hear. A, there's a lot out there that probably isn't going to improve things very quickly, right? So you'd like that to, is for sure. you'd like people to <laughs> understand, you know, how to sort through this vast amount of stuff that can be coming at you, right? Yeah, yeah. And you see that as the role of trusted community partners, um, things like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think, okay. um, you know, giving people examples of how a community, you know, that might be similar to theirs benefited from their initial connectivity. What did they do? Yeah. Establish kind of the best practices so people know, OK, as this rolls out through the community, maybe people haven't been as experienced before. But look what this community over here did. Right. Look at the benefits that they saw. How did they roll it out and educate people as to how to use it and what the best practices are, I think, is going to be key. Makes sense to me. So um, you guys at Siena are not delivering actual, you're not broadband providers, but you work with broadband providers. Um, so I'm curious to know what it looks like at Siena to be preparing for these bead and middle mile opportunities since you're not actually the ones who are going out, going to be going out and applying for the grants. Um, what does it look like from inside a, a Siena type? Well, so from, from our, our perspective, um, you're dealing with a very wide variety of service providers. Some of them you know, large, some of them very small, right? These are small, almost what you would call the mom and pop sorts of capabilities. Yeah. And so we focus a lot on making the technology, you know, easily to, easy to digest, right? There's a lot of software intelligence that gets built in. There's a lot of basic technologies that you, you know, you, you have to kind of mitigate the complexity and the, the, one of the best ways to do that. And the the great example I'll give you about, you know, what uh, the whole industry has been able to do in terms of mitigating complexity is, you know, what we've been able to do with the smartphones, right? If I took you mm -hmm. back a decade plus and you said, okay, we had used to have these feature phones, they would come with a, you know, instruction manual that might be a half inch thick, right? And you'd sit here and we, we'd figure out maybe 10 or 15 minutes how you and I could put each other on speed dial, right? <laughs> well, you can take now these, you know, very advanced smartphones, right? The most, the recent devices hand it to a child, basically, and they're going to figure out mm -hmm. an awful lot of it, right? Without any kind of instruction. That's the kind of simplicity that, you know, really good software, really good user interfaces can, can create for you, right? You can take something that's fantastically complicated and simplify it so it can be, you know, a, a usable technology by, you know, pretty much anybody. That's what we try to, what we strive to do with our equipment as well, right? You take things that, you know, literally connect, you know, millions and billions of sites provide terabits of capacity. And you say, okay, how do we make this simple enough that you can take it out, put it into a rural area and not necessarily have, you know, the world's experts sitting there with you as you're installing it, testing it and turning it up. Right. So that's a key piece to enabling the successful rollout of these technologies is taking these advanced capabilities and saying, okay, there's sufficient intelligence associated with this. Here's the tool set. Here's the instructions. Here's the training. Here's what you need to do to actually get it up and running in your infrastructure. That's a key piece of what we do. 
That makes sense. I'm sure that's very helpful, um, especially for, like you said, some of these smaller community-based providers. Um, I'm thinking of municipalities, maybe electric co-ops might fall into that bucket. Um, I'd love to hear about some of your partners who um, are municipalities or electrical co-ops, where they're you know, helping to close the divide in, um, in I guess, rural areas of the U.S. Um, give me a couple of examples of those partners and, and the difference they're making. Um, so I'll give you a couple. One, um, give you Coleman Electric, right? Mm-hmm. What they were is a rural Alabama capability to provide um, services. Uh, I think it's called Sprout Fiber Internet is what they launched. Again, mm-hmm. first time for this um, it was a really electric utility that had been adding additional features and capabilities. You know, we, in fact, we've seen that elsewhere where you know, uh, electric utilities have right of way. They've got poles. They've got access. They can put things up relatively quickly. They've got outside plant folks. And so that's a model that I think is going to be used widely when you have any capability to um, get out, get the basic footprint in place. That I think is going to be a good example of how things are, you know, basically run out through the, the rural areas of the states. Um, another one I can talk about is uh, Dryden Fiber. This one um, it was actually the town of Dryden. So again, it's yeah. more of a municipality approach where they said, okay, we want to provide to our citizens, you know, our own infrastructure. And again, that's a model that, again, you know, years ago, and we still see it was even used with um, elect- rural electric co-ops and local electric power distribution, where they would buy raw power and provide it to their citizens. Same thing can happen here with broadband connectivity. So those are two kind of good models of, you know, how a locale can just decide, hey, we want these kind of services in our area to our citizens and a couple different models of how you actually instantiate it. Yeah, and you're giving examples of two very different states as well, because Dryden is up in, in New York State. In New York it's upstate. State, exactly. um, I know about it because we had them on the podcast, and I'm partial to it because even though I'm a downstater, uh, I'm in New York City. It's still my state, and I claim it. Um, so I'm very proud to know that that's happening in upstate New York. Um, and uh, yeah, like... Uh, Alabama and New York couldn't be more different. So um, these types of things are happening uh, all over the place. Um, With that said, they're not always beloved by uh, the incumbent providers, the larger providers who maybe don't want municipal broadband in their territory or at all. Um, I know you're friendly to all providers, so I'm not asking you to get mad at anyone. (laughs) But uh, I'm wondering if you have any advice or anything you've learned along the way working with um, municipalities or co-ops on how to apply for these grants and and when ultimately um, moving forward into the BEAD and and other other opportunities um, as those grants come up. Well, I, th- I think what you're finding with all these kinds of applications um, is they want to use kind of tried and true and tested approaches. And so yeah. knowing that the same technology base that a very large service provider uses um, is available to them and that they aren't buying something that's, a, you know, a, a knockoff or a lower performance, lower quality, you know, something that was just built specifically for a rural application that may not scale, I think is actually quite critical to them. Because one of the things that has changed over the last, let's say, you know, 15, 20 years, right, the the two major contributions of Sienna from a technology point of view was, 
you know, in the middle 90s with dense wavelength division multiplexing, right? So lots more capacity comes online because you can have multiple colors of fiber, multiple colors of light on a single fiber. And then the, the second one was adoption of what's called coherent detection, where you use a, a laser at the receiver to measure the laser coming off the fiber. So one laser measures another, you get a lot of information that way. So that again, increases your capacity. So when people put fiber in the ground, they need to start thinking of this is terabits per second, you know, terabits capability here. And that's just different. We used to think, okay, if you took fiber and you put it to somebody's house, okay, maybe they get a gigabit sometime. But no, no, the, the basic fiber technology now, we understand how to light that to terabit rates. Now, that may not be anything what someone needs at a residence, but think about the possibilities once that infrastructure is there. And that's just, I think, fundamentally different than the way we used to think about rural broadband, where, mm -hmm. well, it's limited capacity, it's, you know, it might be copper based, it might be coax based, it might be all these other technologies. Once fiber's there, to, you know, to first order, the capacity to that location is almost unlimited. You could almost do anything yeah. you want there, right? right. That's a, just a different way to think. And I, I, what I found in talking to, you know, the, from the mom and pops to the mid tiers, from all throughout that spectrum, is knowing that that's available to them changes the way over time, the way they think about their infrastructure. And, and it, it says, okay, yeah, I might be able to, you know, put a business in place today that, you know, because of the grants and the subsidies and such, uh, you know, I'll have a reasonable business, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to break even by selling, you know, broadband services. But all of a sudden, wow, if I got that kind of bandwidth capability, I can pick up, you know, wireless backhaul, I can pick up enterprises, maybe there's a factory, maybe there's a school, a high school, a police station, a fire station, all these things need connectivity, maybe the yeah. library wants access, you know, they're there's a university that may need access to the, the national infrastructure now. Those are all things that they can start to provide because they've put this infrastructure in place, right? right. And knowing that they have access to the exact same basic technologies that, you know, the big guys use is pretty powerful to them, right? So that, I think, has been one of the, the lessons that I've learned out of this for sure. Okay, that makes sense. So work with a reputable reputable player like Sienna, and you'll have a, a better chance of getting your your uh, grant. <laughs> well, well, and some and, and a player like Sienna that you know, yes, we can, we can light the the fiber you know right out to the edge, but we also you know we light a lot of the submarine cables at terabit rates that yeah. interconnect the continents, right? And and right. having that breadth of knowledge and understanding exactly what it takes to do you know kind of both ends of the spectrum is actually very useful. Yeah. So um, in addition to the education piece, uh, as one thing that stresses me out as I talk about the digital divide, another thing that stresses me out as we accelerate network deployment is um, cyber attacks, uh, sustainability. Um, so I'm curious to know how you guys at Siena are thinking about those issues from a research and development standpoint or a product development standpoint. Um, how are you guys thinking about uh, the rapid <laughs> deployment of networks and how we secure and sustain them? Well, so security is critical in, in how we build things because anytime you're installing the kind of networks we do, they're, they're considered mission critical, whether they're, you know, the, the large enterprise, whether it's the, the web scale folks, the hyper giants, whether it's the, the local school system, right? They all want to know that the, the kind of equipment that they're purchasing, the kind of software that they're running has the right you know, security design built into it, the architecture supports a secure environment, that's all critical to us. And so that 
you know, we build it in, right? The way we mm-hmm. approach security is we build it directly into the product. Um, it's not a bolt-on approach like other folks do. We build it directly into the product suite itself. Um, from a sustainability point of view, you know, the fact that we can now, you know, take this fiber and light it at terabits comes with some very dramatic savings in terms of, you know, complexity, cost, footprint, power, all that. And I'll give you a, a, another kind of simple example, right? When Sienna first introduced wavelength division multiplexing, so this is now back in the middle 1990s, um, 40 gigabits, right? So that would have required one full telco bay worth of equipment, right? So think of, you know, 23 inches wide, six to seven feet tall, a couple feet deep, you know, that would be 40 gigabits of capacity sitting there. Um, if you wanted 400 gigabits, then you would have 10 of these things lined up. So you can imagine that fills a full room. Right. Okay. And, you know, lots of power, lots of complexity, lots of space to do 400 gigabits. The technology that, you know, us and other folks in the industry have now, you know, perfected would let you put 400 gig, right? That same set of 10 racks, but I can now hold it in my hand, literally, right? So that gives you a sense of the dramatic reduction in power, space, cost, all the things that come along with that. And it's because of that that we can talk about, you know, literally taking these very high capacities, 400 gig, and putting them almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it just mm-hmm. changes where capacity can go. And, you know, we used to, when you would talk to folks in the telecom space and you talked about, you know, terabits, they always thought, oh, my God, this is big iron, right? This is bays and bays worth of equipment and it costs and expense and power and all this. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, the next generation, you're going to be putting, you know, a terabit in the, in the palm of your hand. And right. so now you think about where can that kind of capacity go? It can go in so many more places than it could have if it's a big old box, Right. This mm-hmm. is literally something you hold in your hand. And and so that fits beautifully into the needs that we've got to continue to reduce the, the you know, impacts of these networks. Right. We've got to continue to drive cost, complexity, power. All of that has to be continuously reduced. Got it. OK. So. All right. So you're talking about terabits at this point. All right. Let's fa- let's jump forward like 10 years. We've got terabits everywhere. We've maybe solved a big chunk of the digital divide. There's connectivity just everywhere you go. Um, so tell me what that even means. Uh, what are we doing with all of this connectivity now um, uh, besides watching a lot of streaming shows and uh, working from home um, and how no, 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 service it's providers? A, it's, a, yeah, it's a really good <laughs> yeah. question because into okay so let's i'll give you um i'll answer it in two different ways one let, let me tell okay. you a little a personal story about my own experience Please. with the digital divide so when COVID hit now uh, we live in annapolis okay so annapolis Mariners on the west side of chesapeake bay we also have a house over in the eastern what's called the eastern shore and it's four houses four owners it's on a farm it's, it's on the water a couple hundred acres and service over there is terrible i mean it was literally DSL, 15 kilofeet from a remote terminal. You never had broadband there. Now, when COVID hit, our neighbor on the eastern shore lived in an area outside of D.C. that was one of the hardest hit sections. Took his kids out. Whole family went over there and basically camped out for, for months. For them, for him to conduct work and for them to go to school, they couldn't do it at their house. They had to go up to a local hotel and sit in the lobby and get Wi-Fi. Okay, that was their environment. Yeah, yeah. Just turned out at the same time, the local electric company was replacing underground wires. 
So when I, I went out and talked to the subcontractor doing the work and said, hey, you know, could you run a conduit from the pole over there that I happen to know there's fiber on for the local broadband company, go down that stone road about a half a mile and something to the farmhouse and then go another half a mile to the other houses and let us put some fiber in. And you go, yeah, it took, it took, you know, a month or so to get all the work done, but we got the fiber in, we got the connectivity up and all of a sudden he could work at his house, his kids could go to school at his house. But the, maybe the more important thing is we took, you know, the connection to the, the farmhouse. And all of a sudden, the, farm, the caretaker that lives at that property, his wife could get a different job than she ever had before. She's got a, you know, trained in accounting, but she had to work locally to some of the, you know, hotels and stores in, in the town, most of which didn't have a lot of business for her. All of a sudden, she could work online. She had a yeah. completely different job, right? So that's one of the things you're going to find happens as we get this connectivity built up is people are going to have access to different things that they would have never had before. So people talk to me about, okay, give me an application that somebody would want like this. I'll, I'll give you the an education one in the sense that by the time we get all this connected, if we've done a good job on content, meaning that there's really rich content out there and we have gotten kind of the AR VR world going, you can imagine, you know, a, 12, 13, 14 year old wondering, okay, what's it like to be a doctor, a nurse, um, a welder, an airline pilot, you know, pick a profession and let's put this, you know, AR VR environment on and let's, let's let them be that person for half a day or a day. What's right. it like to be in that kind of environment, right? You know, can, I want to yeah. pick a career, you know, how do you do that? Well, if you've got this rich immersive environment shows you, well, here's what it's kind of like to be that person, you know, explore and experience those sorts of things. That's what we're talking about, being able to enable with this kind of connectivity and, you know, ability to connect everybody to content. So that to me is where we want to head with this. Yes, you're absolutely right. There'll be entertainment and streaming and all these sorts of things, but the educational capabilities, the ability to, you know, sit there and say, okay, I, I want to be eating, you know, dinner, looking out at the Grand Canyon and pop up on your, you know, wall size display of the sunset at the Grand Canyon or, you know, what's it like at the Eiffel Tower, you know, those sorts of things. That, yeah. That's where it's headed if we do a good job. So from just to finish off with this, I'm just curious from your perspective, what is the role of service providers? Is, is there a broader role in that sort of content realm or is the role of service providers just to beef up their network capacity as uh, best and as fast as they can? Well, they, they certainly have to do that. But the other piece yeah. that, you know, I think we all have to kind of, you know, work through service providers, content providers, everybody else is the way you get to the cloud to all the content is through the service providers. Right. right? They have the spectrum and the wireless towers and the access, all the other pieces that you want. Right. So they've got proximity to the customer. And a lot of these truly interactive kind of environments require low latency. They require some amount of edge compute that's, you know, very close to you for the things that are very latency sensitive. Right. Yeah. So there's opportunities because they are, you know, the, your first point of contact going to the cloud is usually a service provider of some kind. And so it's really an opportunity for them to say, hey, you know, we can participate in that just like the, the, the content creators do, right? How do we participate most effectively is kind of their, their opportunity. Well, it will be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I really thank you for your time, uh, for taking some time to talk with us about all of this, and I hope you'll come back. It was great to talk with you, Steve. It was great to talk to you too, Nicole. Thank you. 
my pleasure. Thank you again, Steve, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.